Do you live ECU? Do you breathe purple and gold? Are you ready to hoist the colors? Now, time for the most in-depth look at the world of ECU athletics. Welcome in to Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Watch the show live on Facebook and at 94.3thegame.com. Now, here's your host, Stephen Igo. All right, welcome into this edition of Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. It is Wednesday, June 7th. We're getting ever closer to ECU football season, as we said yesterday, as we kind of turn the page from baseball season to football. We're going to kind of hit a different topic every day. Of course, we're going to have guests as well through our next week and a half before we take our summer break. But today's topic will be, as Philip Pilkington joins me in studio, we're going to be looking at the top five pirate football players that we believe need to step up heading into the 2023 season. Of course, there's a lot of roster turnover, so we're going to be looking at a lot of the guys who are returning, who will be stepping into bigger roles. We'll discuss that here shortly. Later in the show, we're going to visit with a former Pirate, Garrett McGinn, recent XFL champion, won the title with the Arlington Renegades. We'll have that discussion with Garrett, who's always a tremendous interview, played at ECU through uh, the 2018 season. So we'll talk with Garrett here shortly. And then we'll also... Start to dive into the American Athletic Conference and the expansion of the league. What we're going to do is take a look at each of the six teams that are entering the American, what they bring to the conference from a football, basketball, and baseball perspective. We'll focus on the big three and kind of go from there. We'll start today with Charlotte towards the end of the show. We'll look at the 49ers as ECU finally has an in-state conference foe, which we'll discuss and then we'll get into some of the more of the teams over the next week. But Philip Pilkington alongside. Philip, we're continuing this transition into football, and uh, we, we discussed it yesterday, kind of the – it feels more real when you start actually having these conversations about opponents, players that need to step up, and, uh, you know, we still got, of course, 87 days. I guess this is, is, is Joe Sampson Day. If he was still on the team, it would be Joe a, Sampson Day. We are, right. Joe, we are a Joe Sampson away from ECU football. Uh, but uh, 87 days away, but it is starting to feel more real, especially now that baseball season's over. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate, obviously, that it has to feel as real as early as it does. I obviously wanted it to wait another couple of weeks, but, you know, I'm excited. As you mentioned, inside at 90 days, it's right around the corner. Summer is here. Kids are getting out of school. And, uh, you know, when summer's here, that means fall's just right around the corner. And really, once August hits, it's like a million miles an hour. And, uh, you know, preseason camp starts. We have media day, all that sort of stuff. So we'll be there before you know it. Uh, by the way, we are live on YouTube. We're live on Facebook, live on Twitter. If you got a question for us, drop it on YouTube or Facebook. We'll see it in the comments section. We'll address it on the show. could be baseball-related. could be football. If you're riding around in your car, uh, you got the stream up, or you're just listening on the radio tweet at either myself or Philip. On Twitter, we'll also address your question if you want it on the show. But we're going to open today's show with our football discussion, and we both had our homework assignment of looking at five different ECU players that we feel need to step up going through the season. There's so many question marks around this team, and I actually do like the roster where it sits from a standpoint of they've recruited and developed well, but there are a lot of unknowns, and Philip, to be fair, we uh, we probably would have had a lot of the same players because we each picked five. So we decided to go different paths. I'll let you pick your five. You shared that with me, and then I picked a different five. So we'll go one by one. We'll start with your list of the five uh, biggest ECU players that need to step up heading into 2023. Give me your first, and we'll kind of discuss them. 
So you want me to go start with number one or, or number five? How do you um, want to do e- Either way, we'll, we'll go number one. Okay. Well, number one, I think it's kind of the obvious answer right now is Mason Garcia. You know, when you've had a quarterback that started here as long as Holt Naylor's did, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty with the offense, and especially the unfortunate thing with Mason coming in is, you know, he is only bringing back one starting offensive lineman for a year ago. He is not bringing back a lot of the wide receivers that were here. So um, there's going to be a lot of new faces on the offense, and when one's at quarterback, uh, that guy's going to have to step up. He's going to have to be a leader, whoever that guy happens to be and it just so happens to be Mason Garcia, so I had to put him at number one. Yeah, I think Mason is the, the obvious answer just because he's been in the program. It's kind of seen as his time, and, you know, we've had Mike Houston on the show. He's talked about Alex Flynn and the offseason he's had, and, you know, really there there's still a quarterback competition ongoing, but I think most people believe that Mason Garcia is the odds-on favorite and most likely will open the season as the starter, so I agree, and I think he has to be number one on anybody's list. Uh, I'll give my uh, my first one as well. Again, different list from Phillip, but uh, similar to you, I'm going offensive uh, offensive players for sure. And I'm going with the offensive line because, of course, you, no matter how good you are as a quarterback, if you cannot give that quarterback time to, to survey the field or protect him at a decent rate or if you can't run the football, obviously you're going to struggle offensively. So I'm going with Parker Moore, who is expected to step into a starting role at offensive tackle. He was a part-time player last season as a West Virginia transfer. And if there's a, a spot on this, this offense that you know concerns me, obviously outside of the quarterback situation, it is the offensive tackle situation. And spoiler alert, I will have two offensive tackles on my list. Uh, first is Parker Moore because I think he can be a really quality, productive player up front for the Pirates, and I expect him to step into a bigger role, especially after the graduation of Justin Red and also with Noah Henderson moving on. So who is your number two on your list? Well, I agree with your number one there. It's clear that you watched the blind side yeah. pretty good. You said yeah. quarterback's most important. We're going with the off the left tackle as number two. So I'm going to put Taylor Jackson as my second one. And a lot of that is due to the departure of Xavier Smith, Chance Bates, and Miles Berry. We need a quarterback on offense. Well, we need that quarterback on defense. I think Taylor Jackson can be that guy. You know, Blake Harrell does not run a very easy defense to learn. It's very complex. It takes a high IQ football player to play in a Blake Harrell defense, and uh, somebody's got to be back there quarterbacking that, running, you know, telling the other 10 guys on the field what to do. So from the pre-snap standpoint, 100% Taylor Jackson, as well as, in, you know, during the play between the whistles thing, um, you know, when you lose the caliber of talent that we lost at linebacker, when you had three guys who were as good as those guys were, all seniors had played a lot of snaps. Um, it's going to be hard to fill those shoes of Miles Berry, of Xavier Smith, and of Chance Bates. And uh, I challenge Taylor Jackson to step up and be that guy this year. I definitely think that's a good choice as well. By the way, a quick side note, Clark. We're getting YouTube comments saying there's no sound on YouTube, so uh, if we could look into that. Um, because we got some people commenting that. So they'll get on that. We'll try and get that audio up for you here on YouTube. So, yeah, Taylor Jackson for me is a guy who's been in the program four years now. I think it is his time to step up and it really be a, a guy that plays. And they brought in some other linebacker transfers, Taekwon King, Ra-Ra Dilworth, also B.J. Davis. But I think Jackson, what I saw in the spring, has a chance to really be a, a special player, and, and you know he's added weight, he's added speed. I think this is his time 
uh, to shine uh, along the uh, the linebacker crew. All right, my number two, I'm going to go with a wide receiver and a guy who actually played a pretty big role last year, but I think will need to play an even bigger role this year, Jalen Johnson. Former Georgia transfer, of course, had, I think, over 400 yards receiving last year, dealt with a back injury, but was a productive player. They're moving him from outside receiver to slot. Last year, that was C.J. Johnson's role. I think if you look historically in Donnie Kirkpatrick's offense here, you had Tyler Sneed be a focal point. You had C.J. Johnson be a focal point. I think Jalen Johnson can become that guy as well. We know that there are question marks at outside receiver, but I think Jalen Johnson, for me, Moving inside to inside, I think, will be a, a good fit for him. So uh, I have Jalen Johnson second on my list, and we'll go back to yours. And so looking at number three, I'm going to stay on the defensive side of the ball. You know, this past defense was ranked 131 in the country a year ago. And uh, for those of you who do not know, there are 131 teams. Now, a lot of that was credit to the fact that opponents were playing from behind a lot in football games. And it was a credit to the Pirate run defense. But definitely the pass defense needs to step up. And so my number three guy is Siobhan Ravel. I think he's probably the best corner on this team at the current time and uh, is going to be the guy that kind of needs to step up because, you know, if nothing else, you need – I'm not asking to be Darrell Rivas where he right. gets no help, but you at least need that one corner that you can pretty much trust in a one-on-one situation that you can almost ignore his guy because he's got his guy and let the other ten guys worry about the other ten guys on the offense. So I think he can step up. I think he has the ability to be that guy, uh, especially with Malik Fleming leaving. Obviously, he transferred this year, so hopefully Siobhan Ravel can step up. He is my number three. I think Siobhan Ravel has some of the biggest upside of, of any player on this roster. Uh, I think that, for me, size, speed, his ability to jump, he's an all-conference guy waiting to happen if he can put it together. So good pick there. And cornerback position, major question mark uh, when you look at that spot uh, right now. But I think he's definitely a leading candidate to step up there. All right, number three on my list, I go back to offense. We'll stay there. Uh, for those that are just getting audio, we we're running down our top five most important ECU football players to step up in 2023. I think we're back now on YouTube and Facebook potentially. And um, So I've gone over Jalen Johnson and Parker Moore as two of my top five. Walter Stribling is my third, and it's another offensive lineman, another guy who's been in the program now three, four years. It's his time to step up. You developed in the weight room. You know, we're going to talk to a guy here shortly in Garrett McGinn who has stepped up and developed in the weight room over his time at ECU, became a contributor. I'm interested to get his take on what allows an offensive lineman to make that jump late in their career, and I feel like Walter Stribling is that guy. He's a potential starting right tackle. He'll probably complete with uh, one of the Akron transfers coming in, but it just feels like it's his time, much like with Taylor Jackson on your list. Guys who have been in the program three, four years now, those are the guys, as you lose players to graduation, uh, it's their time to step up. So I've got Walter Stribling along with Parker Moore. I'm, I'm keeping a close eye on the offensive tackles. Yeah, you clearly are. So I know part of that is due to four of the five offensive linemen graduating. Do you think you even valued offensive line a little more so because of the fact that Shankweiler is now no longer that offensive line coach and we're going to need that leader to step up, especially with a new coach coming in? I mean, that's the thing, too, is you, you've, yeah, I like Alan Mogridge, the new offensive line coach, really like him in the spring, but – with that, with the new coach, you almost kind of get a reset there. And if you're Walter Shivlin, you're on an even playing field, especially with guys. You are bringing transfers in, but you got guys moving on, and you have a new coach. So it's almost like a clean slate. This is your time to kind of prove it. So uh, really looking forward to seeing what both those guys can do for sure as we uh, 
continue down this list. Uh, run over your list as well that we've uh, gone over to this point for those that are just getting audio. Yeah, so if you missed it, I had, I had Mason at one. Um, kind of, I guess, in a way, he goes without saying, I took that one from Igo. We tried not to have any of the same guys on our right. list. That way we can bring ten different players to you. And uh, I got my homework done a little quicker. So, yeah. <laughs> so I got to steal Mason. I had Tyree Jackson, the linebacker, at two. And I had cornerback Siobhan Ravel at three. So moving on to my number four, I've kind of got a two-name here because we're not 100% sure who's going to win that battle. But I have the center position. So I have Hampton Ergel as my number one. Ryan Beckman, one of those Akron transfers, if he does win that job, then he slots into this number four spot. And it's partly because we lost so much on the offensive line, yeah. but another reason is the fact that when you have a new quarterback, you need a center to step up. There's so much into the that goes into the game pre-snap in the year 2023. If this was the 1970s, I may have not had an offensive center specifically on this list. Who knows? I may have. But there's so much that goes into that. Center sees so much. Avery Jones was was so good at that. And had Trent Holler still been on the team, from what I had understood from the coaching staff, he was very much between the years a very high IQ football player. Unfortunately, Trent's no longer here. Unfortunately, Avery is no longer here. So it looks like Hampton Ergel is going to have to be that guy, and uh, sometimes a center is actually the quarterback's true best friend because they can help them out with a lot of things. So I think Hampton needs to step up and be that guy to help Mason Garcia out. I think we're going to see Trent Holler in a Marshall uniform on September 9th inside yeah. Daddy Ficklin Stadium, so that'll go. be uh, a little tough, but uh, so be it. And, and, yeah, good picks there. Anybody on the O-line at this point is a fair pick. All right, going back to my list, number four, this is a bit off the wall, but a guy I'm super high on. He is sophomore outside linebacker Samuel Danka, and he, he played special teams last year. He's an athletic specimen, and what does this defense need more than anything outside of coverage? I think they need some pass rush. He's six five, two twenty off the edge. They've really been grooming him to be kind of a future pass rusher type, and this may be a year too early, but I really like Samuel Danka. I love his upside. He looked good in the spring. Uh, spring game had a couple sacks, and for me – He's the best pass rusher in terms of like just length, speed, how you draw it up. So I'm going with Samuel Danka. I don't think he'll be a full-time starter, but I see him as kind of a part-time third down specialist. So he's my number four. And sometimes those are the guys that need to step up the most. Yeah. When they, you only get on the field every now and again, those are the guys who really need to step up for using a special role. My number five guy is um, Mason's going to need some weapons. And a lot of guys left, obviously, have Jalen Johnson. Here. I try and stay away from position groups where you have a lot of the guys get on the field. I try and stay away from running backs, try and stay away from wide receivers, tight ends. But I did put Josiah Hatfield on this list because we have seen Josiah Hatfield in those spurts, but we have not seen him as consistent as he needs to be, but I definitely think he has the potential to be that number one target for Mason Garcia, and a young quarterback needs that favorite guy, that go-to guy at all times, and Josiah Hatfield can, and I believe will be that guy for this team. So I've done this list in written form for like three years now, and I think I've had Josiah Hatfield up there every single year. He would have <laughs> been, uh, Mason Garcia and Josiah Hatfield would have been my one and two. Uh, on my list, and I came up with kind of some different guys, uh, so we didn't have some repeats here. But, but yeah, I, I'm a big Josiah Hatfield fan. A lot of it is just availability. He's got to stay available, and he's got the explosiveness to do some damage. All right, number five, our last player, another guy who's kind of off the radar but has been in the program. His name is Kingston McKinstry. He is a third-year defensive back. He's had trouble as, as far as staying healthy in the past but had a really productive spring 
you saw the last few years we've seen Gerard Stringer, Jaira Wilson make a ton of plays from kind of that nickel-slash-hybrid linebacker spot in the defense, linebacker safety spot. Well, Kingston McKinstry and North Carolina transfer Ra-Ra Dilworth are kind of the two new guys to watch in that role going forward. And I really like McKinstry's skill set. It's just he's got to stay healthy. So a lot of these guys, are really all ten of them, Philip, have been in the program have developed, now it's their time. So I think you see a common theme there. Of course, we talk always about the transfers and the freshmen, but the guys who are in the program, who know the culture, this is kind of their time to shine. And if ECU wants to kind of surpass expectations this year, I think this is a group of players that needs to step up. They do. And, you know, you mentioned that we talk about the freshmen, talk about the transfers. But a lot of times the freshmen and the transfers go as the vets go. And if these ten guys, as well as a few others, do not step up, where is that? Where are the transfers going right. to step up from? I mean, yeah, that might give them more opportunities, but if they don't have a guy who's been in the program, especially when you have an established coaching staff, yes, there was a little turnover this year, especially on the offensive side of the ball, but you know, this is still an established culture, the head coach that's been here for a handful of years now, so you need the guys that he recruited or that he brought in. You know, we had to do few pass transfers on this list, but, you know, guys that have been here and seen what pirate football means and what it means to be a pirate to step up. Otherwise, I don't see the other guys having much success if these ten guys are not doing what they need to do. Alright, let's get our first break in on the other side. We'll catch up with a former pirate, Garrett McGinn, recent XFL champion. We'll talk to Garrett. On the other side, you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. Here there be pirates. Back to Hoist the Colors with Steven Igo. How good is this on 94.3 The Game? Hey, welcome back into Hoist the Cutters on 94.3 The Game. Having some solid NFL discussion in between breaks. <laughs> Philip Hilton in studio with us on this Wednesday, June 7th edition of Hoist the Colors. We just talked about some current players on the Pirate football team in our first segment. Let's talk to a former player, one of my favorite interviews of all time. He is Garrett McGinn, fresh off an XFL championship with the Arlington Renegades. Uh, Garrett, how's it feel to be a uh, champion, man? Steven, just want to say a pleasure to speak with you again, brother. Miss you, dog. feel like it's been way too long, but, man, it feels absolutely incredible, especially just the way the season started and everything like that. We are kind of a little rocky there, but the boys got hot at the right time, and it was an amazing feeling. Obviously, you've been you know around in the NFL for several years, and then you played in the USFL as well. What, what was the XFL experience like, Garrett, this year? And then kind of walk us through maybe what were some of the differences and the, you know some of the pros, maybe some of the cons as well of, of being an XFL player. Man, honestly, it was truly amazing. Uh, you know, you're around a lot of guys that, you know, have kind of been through similar situations as well as you. Um, you know, being on NFL teams, being released, and guys that just had that fire in them to just show, like, hey, I can still do this at the highest level, so – um, man, it was honestly incredible. Some of the most fun I've had playing football, um, being out there in Texas and competing and just having fun, dude. It was it was incredible. Um, some of the pros was um, honestly just still being able to play the game that I love that I grew up loving um, was just surreal feeling. You kind of take a step back and know, hey, man, I'm truly living out of my childhood dream of playing professional football. So. Um, that's probably one of the biggest pros. And cons, man, there there wasn't too many. I mean, it was the USFL and the XFL have both done a great job of making it as much as as much as the NFL as they can. You know, obviously 
the pay in the stage is a little bit different, but as far as the day-to-day operations, where whether it's athletic training or football operations, player personnel, everything like that, is is pretty top tier. Risen with Garrett McGinn, former ECU offensive lineman who did it all for the Pirates. Center guard tackle, uh, you know, was it was often the mouthpiece of the football team from a media perspective. We always relied on you win or lose, Garrett. So uh, it's always good to catch up, man. And uh, so you, you shared a uh, locker room. I know with Josh Hawkins. I know he got hurt earlier this season, but also a former Pirate as well. Do y'all, you know, share any any ECU football stories when y'all were in the locker room together? What was it like being on the same team with a, another former Pirate? Uh, it was awesome, man. As soon as I walked in from day one, we looked at each other. We're like, hey, just started, you know, doing a little purple and gold chance back and forth. So it was awesome. Josh is such a great dude and just such a charismatic person and energetic and a great locker room presence. But as far as, like, uh, ECU stories, man, we we always talk about that UNC dub. I mean, that's one of my fondest memories at ECU and just, you know, talking about when was the last time he was back in Greenville and if he still talks to anybody from the team and stuff like that. So got to share, share a couple stories like that, and, it, and that was incredible. Felt terrible for him when he got that injury, but he was very uh, energetic throughout the entire process, had great spirits and everything like that, and just continued to be a great locker room guy and a great teammate. Garrett McGinn played at East Carolina from 2014 through 2018 and, of course, went on to the professional ranks where he's still playing now. Garrett, I want to go all the way back to your recruitment. So, so you were initially committed with South Alabama? Yes, sir. Let's. Uh, I remember talking to you after you flipped to East Carolina. So walk us through. Obviously, you're a Tallahassee guy from Florida. You know What led you to, uh, to choosing the ECU and, and making that decision to come to school up here? Oh, yeah, man, that's... Gosh, that feels like freaking forever ago. But I was committed to South Alabama. What a lot of people don't know is committed to South Alabama to play two sports, football and baseball. And during the recruiting process, I told them, I was like, hey, um, probably going to take an official visit to East Carolina. And they were absolutely terrified. They were like, is there anything we can do to – we'd rather – we want you to come here that weekend, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, um, they were – they were fond of me early on in the recruiting process, so I'm going to go check them out. And then went to – came up there for the um, Tulsa game when Amos had that, like, 100-yard pick six, and the place was electric, and I just felt like – just felt like home. And after that trip, I knew instantly when I got on the plane back to come home, I was like, yeah, that's where I want to go, Bob. And called – South Alabama and told them the terrible news and then called East Carolina and told them the great news and it was the best decision I've ever made. Yeah, we had Deshaun Amos a few weeks ago on, so that's a cool story there. And Garrett, when you, you look at your, your baseball career, did you ever try and convince Cliff Goblin to, to give you a spot on the, the team to let you get some at bats? <laughs> no, when I, when I first got there, there were talks about it and then, um, because the other coach Godwin had got fired, and then Cliff came on, and I was just like, "Yep, I got finally realized what it really took to play my position on the football field." And I was only weighing like 250, 260, so I was like, "Yeah, I need to bust my tail in the weight room and spend as much time in there with Coach Connors as I can. I can't be focusing on uh, focusing on playing baseball while still trying to become 300 pounds." So, kind of knew that that door had closed pretty quickly, and. 
honestly, I think it was truly a blessing in disguise, honestly. Yeah, I still marvel at the fact that some, some guys are able to pull off the the two sports, uh, you know, regimen, because it just seems like it'd be nearly impossible given what requires these days. It's kind of a year-round job, basically. So, uh, But either way, Garrett, obviously you played a tremendous uh, amount of time at East Carolina. You developed early in your career. So we were having a, a discussion earlier about some offensive linemen who have been in ECU's program now, you know, two, three, four years. They've registered. They've developed kind of like you did, and then they grew into, you know, starters and, and contributors, and, and we're waiting to see if they will do the same here. What, what's kind of the biggest jump an offensive lineman in that in that stage has to make, going from a guy that's developing to playing for the first time? You know, I think the biggest thing is confidence. You know, during that development time, you don't spend a lot of time getting actual game reps, so it's kind of hard for you to truly be comfortable in not only your new – atmosphere but your body as well you know you during that development process you're putting on weight you're getting bigger you're getting stronger you're getting faster so it's like, to be able to go out there and have those reps and there's nothing like having actual game reps you know you can feel confident in practice but i don't care what anybody says if they don't get a little bit nervous when they go out there on game day then they're lying so for those guys to get game reps is so huge and also to be able to have success you know um ECU's football program is truly turning around. Coach Houston's doing such a great job. And I think guys believing in the culture and seeing that things are successful when they do things the right way is some of the most important aspects and attributions to not only development as a college football player, but as an offensive lineman as well. Because people don't, a lot of people don't understand offensive linemen to me, or in general, is just the most unique situation. Because if you think about, you know, wide receivers, running backs, DBs, if they mess up, what's the worst thing that can happen? You give up a touchdown, right? We mess up, we can get somebody hurt bad and can affect somebody's career. So it's a lot, whole different type of pressure up there up front. So anytime you can get a young guy that has now worked into his body, his development, and also have that confidence of being successful, I think it allows for a successful player. We're visiting with Garrett McGinn, who experienced a little bit of everything at East Carolina. I mean, you experienced the, the highs, the lows. You played every position up front. I mean, when you look back at your career, I'm sure it's hard to, to summarize, but, you know, are there any standout moments that you really still cherish to this day or the relationships, I'm sure, stand out? Just, just walk us through your time as a pirate, uh, you know, from the front to the back. Um. Yeah, man. I mean, honestly, East Carolina is home, and I have so many great memories there. There's so many great things that stick out to me, whether it's beating NC State at home for my second career start or, like, beating UNC, never losing to them, which was huge. But a lot of people remember those big games, but I think truly the things that are most important are the relationships you built and some of the memories you have attached to that. You know, like seeing some of your best friends playing or scoring for the first time or seeing guys that you know, we're walk-ons that earn scholarships and just those types of relationships are the things that are, you know, truly incredible and just, you know, some of the things I truly take pride in and during my time at East Carolina, because I had some great older guys when I was there, uh, CJ Strug, JT Boy, guys like that, that really, you know, trying to kind of help me in my development. So some of my fondest memories are what I, I was able to do or what I hope I was able to do for some of the other guys, you know, like Deontay Smith, like Washington and be settled is one of the things I take a lot of pride in and just so happy for him and the stuff that he's done. And then, um, honestly, one of my fondest memories is 
um, Tyler Sneed, like a guy that came in and was a walk-on and played, earned a scholarship and had all kinds of success and did things the right way. And, you know, those are the things you truly remember that. And the guys you came in with, um, you know, Eric Lindgren, Joe Carter, Stephen Baggett, Bo Huffman, all those guys that I still talk to, to to this day. I mean, that's probably the biggest takeaway I have from East Carolina is the relationships and lifelong friends that I'll take away from there. Garrett, I remember after the, I think it was the UNC game in 2018 when y'all won, you know, y'all lost to North Carolina A&T the previous week, and I know it was a very dark time, but I remember the emotion after y'all beat UNC in that 2018 game. Do you remember kind of just maybe uh, taking a moment there to enjoy that moment? It was a good crowd, energetic crowd, big win at the time, and I'm sure it had to mean a lot to you as a senior. Oh, it meant the world, especially like you kind of hit the, hit the nail on the head there to start it, that loss to North Carolina A&T was kind of devastating, just the way everything went about, you know. And then coming back that next week and beating a, a really good North Carolina team, ACC opponent at home, um, beating them for the second time was really emotional and just, you know, taking that all in with the guys and Coach Montgomery and everything. It was, it was awesome, man. And I think that was one of the times where you truly sit down and you're just thankful for Pirate Nation and the way that they show up and support us and everything like that. It was truly incredible. And I tell people this all the time, like, yeah. You can go to some of these other big Power 5 schools, but you're not going to have the same type of atmosphere as when you come over to Greenville. Visit with Garrett McGinn, former ECU offensive lineman. Uh, all right, so we had a question on YouTube from Tony Hicks. He says, love watching Garrett as a player and seeing his football passion for ECU. He wants to know when uh, when you'll stop by this, or if you'll stop by this fall to see a Pirate game. Of course, you've got... Uh, a career you're worried about, but uh, any any plans to stop by and see a game anytime soon, Garrett? Oh, 100%, man. I haven't been able to get back to Greenville. I've been able to catch all the boys when they come down here to Florida um, and play those UCF nights, but i got to get back to Greenville and go get me some sub-dogs and see my boy Steven and uh, get, get a game in for sure. So hopefully everything will be able to time out. I'll be able to come up there this season. Yeah, just what are your thoughts on the the program now, Garrett, watching, you know, from afar, and I'm sure still keeping in contact with a lot of former teammates, maybe some guys who are still around the program, just seeing it turn around. I know uh, uh, all the former players I talk to, I'm sure you're in the same boat, just, you know, kind of proud of where the program's heading under this current regime. Yeah, man, I'm 100% proud to be an ECU football alum, that's for sure. I think Coach Houston has really changed the culture there, and guys, I think the biggest thing, man, is, Guys are doing the doing things the right way, and I mean that as the most general statement possible because I mean that from top to bottom, whether it's, you know, athletic training, player personnel, the players, coaches, support staff, everybody that goes into what makes ECU football great, they're all kicking ass. You know, I think the nutrition side of things have increased, the strength and conditioning side with Big John has increased, and then obviously the coaches and players have increased, and it's just – it's so unbelievably awesome to see the place that you love so much flourishing and turning into something that you knew it could be. You know, we always get all this crap about being like a non-Power 5 school or whatever, and we don't have this and that. Well, now we do have this and that. You know, we are winning. We are putting out great players. We are, you know, getting advancements in the facilities and stuff like that. So now to show, like, hey, we really are like that is such an amazing feeling. 
Garrett, I love your passion, man. It's awesome to, to hear it in your voice again. Um, so, so your career now, obviously, just wrapping up the season with the Renegades. Take us through what's next for you. You know, are you do you look at all at, at getting another shot in the NFL, or are you you know kind of uh, you know maybe over that at this point? What, what's your what's your mindset as far as your football career and, and kind of everything that's happened uh, for you with the XFL and going forward? Uh, I'm extremely thankful for my football journey. You know, there's a lot of people that wish they were. I've been able to do the things that I've done and in the shoes that I'm in. So I just want to say I'm truly thankful for that. But I still think i got a lot of a lot of football to play. I think I've done nothing but get better, gain more confidence playing in these spring leagues. And when I went back to the NFL with the Giants, was playing well at, you know, kind of doing the same type of role uh, when I was in East Carolina, was playing right right tackle, left guard, and center for the Giants in there, there in the preseason. So, had some series of unfortunate events with concussion and stuff like that, so had to come back to another spring league in the XFL. But, man, I feel like I've been playing good ball and just getting better as a football player, so I'm trying to get back to the NFL. Um, as of right now, just a free agent. Been talking to my agent a good bit, and teams are interested, so um, I'm confident that a, that a call will come. Just got to be ready for the opportunity, which I will be. Yeah, just 27 years old, Garrett, right in your prime, man. So uh, yes, still got plenty exactly. plenty of time left. And uh, hey, looking forward to seeing where you land next. I know we'll continue to stay in touch, but it's been awesome to catch up today, Garrett. Again, I know Pirate Nation enjoys hearing from you always, and we're continuing to follow follow your story. But, hey, if you get back this fall, we'll have to get you in studio and you know maybe have you on the, the pregame show, uh, do some tailgating. No doubt. I definitely want to come, come on and see you again and, Hopefully I can meet little Igo for the first time, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we'll set that up. We'll set that up. He'll be excited to to meet Garrett again. But no, nah, man, this was awesome. Hey, I appreciate it, Garrett. We'll uh we'll talk down the road, man. Thanks so much. Of course, brother. Thank you so much for having me on. That's Garrett McGinn, one of the best, and definitely a uh, passionate pirate. It's always awesome to hear from Garrett McGinn, and and great to see him continue to live out his dream at the professional level. Hopefully, he gets another shot at the NFL here this summer. All right, on the other side, we'll come back. We'll talk about conference expansion. If you missed it at the beginning of the show, we announced we're going to do kind of a series where we look at the American Athletic Conference, the six incoming teams over the next week and a half. We're going to start with Charlotte, kind of look at what they bring to the American. Everybody's like, what is this new American Athletic Conference going to look like? We're going to give you an in-depth report on each of the teams coming in, what to expect as they appear on ECU's schedule. Of course, Charlotte will be on the football schedule this fall. So we'll talk about the Charlotte 49ers and some more Pirate football. On the other side, you're listening to Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We're live with Stephen Igo on 94.3 The Game. Hoist the Johnny Roger! Now, back to Hoist the Colors. All right, welcome back into the Hoist the Colors show on uh, 94.3 The Game. We had an awesome chat. With Garrett McGinn, former ECU offensive lineman, in our previous segment. Great to catch up with Garrett. Looking forward to seeing where he lands as he continues his pro career. Just won a championship with the Arlington Renegades of the XFL. In our first segment, we each gave our five most important Pirate football players to uh, step up going into the 2023 season. So we'll, we'll rerun over that list maybe at the very end of the show. Uh, but you can hear that in our opening segment. We'll have that in podcast form later on wherever you get your podcast uh, apps as well. We're going to have a new segment now where we're kind of looking at conference expansion. Of course, the American Athletic Conference is changing, and with it, outs are Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati, and in are six new teams, 
UAB, FAU, Charlotte, North Texas, Rice, and UTSA. So you got a lot of mixed feelings about the new teams coming in, who's leaving. But what really do these two, do these six new teams incoming, what do they bring to the conference? We're going to start to kind of dive into this as we wrap up uh, the show the next week and a half before summer break. And we're going to start with the Charlotte 49ers. What we're going to do is we're going to look at kind of what each sport is bringing from a football, basketball, baseball perspective. We'll also talk about the fact that will Charlotte and ECU be an actual rival? Uh, if you got a comment or question about a conference expansion, anything, drop it on YouTube, Facebook. We'll get to it or tweet at us. So, big news yesterday. Let's let's get to this before we kind of just talk about Charlotte and ECU and if there's anything there as far as our potential rivalry in time. So, the basketball coach, Ron Sanchez, what has he been there, four or five years now? Five-year tenure. Just had a really good season, right? 22 wins, I think. Yeah, they won the CBI. 22 wins, but he announced yesterday, June 6th. Mind you, ECU's basketball team just reported June 4th. So, like, this is quite possibly some of the worst timing you can have. Uh, Ron Sanchez announced yesterday he is resigning from his position as the head men's basketball coach at Charlotte. And basically, you know, I don't know if there's more to the story here or what, but he's going back to Virginia to be an assistant coach under Tony Bennett, who he's worked for for years. But just kind of odd that he would do this now versus uh, earlier in the offseason and also he kind of leaves Charlotte basketball, which we'll get into, is a historically strong program in a tough spot entering a new, entering a new league, Philip. Yeah, I kind of wonder if there's something going on behind the scenes there. You know, had he walked off the court after the CBI and said, hey, you know what, Tony Bennett offered me a job, I can get paid more, see ya. You know, you, you wouldn't really have been surprised. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you got to do what's best for you and your family, but it really is a weird time to, to leave. Yeah, I mean, uh, all we really have, at least from an official perspective, is Charlotte Athletic Director Mike Hill saying, you know, he carefully rebuilt the program into a 22-game winner. He led with class and dignity and devotion to our young men. His decision to step down from Charlotte was a difficult one for him and everyone associated with our program. We wish him and his family every happiness. So, I mean, it doesn't seem like there's a a divide at all with Charlotte and Sanchez. Maybe he did it for family reasons or something. You know, maybe the more will come out. But just odd. Coming off a 22-win season, and really you look at Charlotte historically, Philip, basketball is what they uh, kind of built their, their, their hat on or, or hung their hat on as far as success in history. Back to Compton State days, previously a, a rival of sorts with ECU and basketball, but they were always a strong basketball program. And when you look at this addition, we'll get into the football side of things here in a minute, but I do think basketball, for the American, it would be good to see Charlotte get back to maybe what it used to be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I grew up in the area. They made the tournament in 2001. I'm a little younger. Remember that? They made it again in 2004 and 2005. So anytime you can be a multi-bid league in basketball, it's big. Obviously, we're missing some key pieces with the departure of Cincinnati, Central Florida, and, of course, the Houston Cougars. And you were hoping that Charlotte could be one of those teams to kind of revamp it back. I don't think they're ever going to be the level of Houston. They have only made one Final Four. That came back in 1977. But you would at least hope they could you know, bring this to a multi-bid league it was really under Bobby Lutz that they had a lot of their success and you know just tournament appearances from the late 90s to the early 2000s had a great fan base and for whatever reason have not been able to recapture that since I still remember some of those great Charlotte teams rolling in the Minji's Coliseums and honestly it was it was a fun game it was you know it was a regional matchup 
in basketball, I, I remember they always brought a crowd. I thought ECU fans showed up well. And even when Charlotte and ECU have, have met in non-conference play in recent years, I think the basketball side of things, it can be a fun, fun matchup. I mean, I think Charlotte has a pretty good basketball fan base. Now you look at football, they, they really just started playing football. They haven't had a lot of success. Have they even been to a bowl game? I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah, they went to the Bahamas Bowl okay. in 2019. Don't yeah. quote me on the year, but roughly around that time they went to the Bahamas Bowl. So, you know, one bowl game and new head coach and Biff, Biff Pogge, Poggy, whatever his name is, yeah, former sure. high school uh, coach at St. Francis Academy, which was a, a high school powerhouse, and he's got a lot of recruiting connections. But, you know, there's just not a lot of tradition there and not – a very big stadium. I'm very interested to see, not this year, but next year, ECU will play at Charlotte. What is the attendance going to look like? Is it going to be all ECU fans? And, you know, I, I don't know. I'm excited there's a regional team in the conference, for, especially from a football perspective. But at the same time, I just don't know how long it's going to take me if, if I ever can get excited about Charlotte 49ers football versus ECU. Yeah, for me, I think that, Charlotte specifically doesn't bring much, but the fact that we do have a game that is now drivable distance other than Navy, a team that they did say we are going to play every right. year. So that part about it is cool. But, you know, as you mentioned, the stadium is extremely small. Jerry Richardson Stadium is a new stadium. It's very pretty. But at the end of the day, it doesn't even meet FBS regulations. They were supposed to be at that already at this point due to COVID. Um, the NCAA gave them some, you know, more leeway time just because they didn't know if they are going to be able to get people to come and expand it. And there's room for expansion, but hopefully yeah they do it because you know, I went to a baseball game earlier this year. We're walking by the football stadium looking at my dad and I'm like, dude, you know, they're hurting ECU in two years. I said, we will bring more people down than they just have seats. I mean, that right. count if they have anybody show up. We're going to bring more than, I think it's only seats like 10,000 people, 15,000 people. It's like, we'll bring 30,000 easy. And there's a huge ECU alum presence in Charlotte. There really is. I mean, all you have to do is look at the games ECU's played at the Panther Stadium where they're yeah. filling up half the stadium and I do know Charlotte has plans to expand Jerry Richardson Stadium in the future, but you know how how realistic is that in short order? Uh, what I am excited about is baseball. I think Charlotte's a tremendous baseball program, uh, especially under the Woodard Coach Woodard, who's taken that program to a new level. They were a two seed in, in Greenville recently. They were a three seed that eliminated Clemson this year, and we know that the American needs better baseball programs. So I am excited about having a regional baseball program that has talent that will help ECU's postseason aspirations by virtue of playing these games. Yeah, I think that is a big thing. You know, part of the reason I think we did not stand a chance so sure even going to the conference tournament is the fact that it was going to be a one-bid league, you know, barring a bid steal, which obviously Tulane did that. Charlotte is one of the teams that will definitely help that cause because um, the big thing is we're not losing – two powerhouses. Really, I mean, Houston, I guess, is decent. UCF's decent. But Charlotte is better than any of the teams yeah. leaving in baseball. And, you know, on top of that, it's, it's a fun little trip to go down there and spend a week. And I went down in 2020, you know, a half a week before the world shut down. And we went to those games and, and had a good time. And, you know, I really enjoyed it. So it'll be fun to be able to go and play um Baseball down there. Unfortunately, I kind of wish that it was going to stay an eight-team conference. Maybe that'd be the team we'd get paired with, where they'd make a right. trip here every year, and we would make a trip there. Unfortunately, that won't happen. So we'll only go there once every other year. Charlotte Forty ers They'll be in the American Athletic Conference starting this fall semester. All right, let's get our final break in. We'll come back, wrap up the show on the other side. You're listening to Hoist the Colors on ninety-four three. The game. The Pirates play here. Arr! This is Hoist the Colors Radio with Stephen Igo. Hey! 94.3 The Game. 
Alright, welcome back into the Hoist of Colors radio program on 94.3 The Game. Philip Pilkington in studio with us today. Clark Willis producing. Dom also producing behind the glass. Helping us out through some difficulties earlier on YouTube. We got it figured out though. So, uh, been a fun show today. We, we were talking conference expansion. And, you know, something I wanted to bring up before we took our break, but now we'll discuss it now. Uh, so Charlotte was added by the American over a potential team like App State. And the reason I was told is basically Charlotte has the potential to invest more. We had Mike Oresco on a few weeks ago. He kind of talked about the need for the programs entering the American to invest. They have the financial structure to invest because you have to invest big in the American. I don't know if App State has that. We'll get into that discussion tomorrow with David Ware from App State Mania who will join us to to, to preview the, the game this fall between the Mountaineers and Pirates, but I don't know. I mean, I, I I look at the Sun Belt, and I like the setup of the league better than what the American is going for, but I'm not going to doubt Mike Oresco. You look at the Sun Belt, Philip, you got App, James Madison, Marshall, teams in smaller areas but more passionate fan bases and honestly better programs historically. It's just going to be interesting to see kind of how the next five, ten years unfold with what conference kind of ends up being better. Yeah, it's weird because the conference or the Sun Belt kind of is like a poor man's SEC, right? Yeah. It's college towns, fan bases that have been there for a while. Now, some of those schools have had success in the FCS levels, but it is still brought in passionate fans. Um, whereas, you know, you look at the American and you have a team like Rice, which is in Houston. You have a team like Temple that is in Philadelphia. I mean, a lot of these are in big markets, and big markets do well for NFL teams. They don't always do well for college athletics. It's just so interesting because you look at the American, and ECU is really the the outlier, the major outlier. It, it, it's Every team is in a major market except for East Carolina. ECU is basically a Sunbelt team. You know, as far as geography yeah. and the market, or an SEC team, if you want to use that comparison, uh, whereas all these teams are in major markets, and it's just it's kind of a weird fit. You know, we talked about Charlotte a minute ago, and they are certainly they fit the American model. My question is, is it going to work? You know, we saw teams like UCF take off, Houston and Memphis, who were just okay in Conference USA in recent years. Once they got to an American, they invested and kind of capitalized. But still, when I go to a Houston ECU football game. Nobody in Houston, Texas, knows that the Houston Cougars are playing a football game. They care about Texas. Uh, they care about the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, it's still just a different vibe. So I still don't know if the passion is going to be there for Charlotte or teams like that, but it's interesting. I don't, I, you know, the Americans shooting their shot, and I'm, I'm, I'm eager to see how it's going to work out. Yeah, I'm too. And I was kind of telling you off the air that there are a lot of – well, sorry, they're not a lot. There are passionate Charlotte fans, guys I know that have not missed a game since day one. The problem is there's about 2,000 of those guys. Yeah. And they will go to every home football game. They will come to every game here in Greenville, any game that is a road game that is drivable. But, unfortunately, is there enough to really establish what they need to establish to hang in a conference where the TV deal is $7 million? We'll see Charlotte and ECU tango on the football field this fall. Tomorrow we'll look at the UAB Blazers. And we'll also preview the App State football game. This has been Hoist the Colors on 94.3 The Game. We'll be back with you tomorrow at 12 noon. This has been Hoist the Colors with your host, Stephen Igo. Tune in weekdays at noon for all things ECU sports. Get a recap of the show at 94.3thegame.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or anywhere you get your podcast.